This episode of Big Stick Energy is brought to you by Woodchuck Hard Cider. This year marks Woodchuck's 30th anniversary, celebrating three decades of creativity and innovation in cider making. Head over to their website, www.woodchuck.com, to check out their newly launched online cider store, where you can ship your favorite ciders right to your front door. You can also follow at Woodchuck Cider on Instagram to check out their Artist Spotlight series, which features creatives from across the country who have each contributed their own artistic piece as tribute to Woodchuck's 30 years of creativity and cider making. Woodchuck Cider, America's original hard cider. Hello, friends. Today, we are talking to Mallory Duncan. He is an independent sales rep and started his own sales agency. He works with brands such as Fulcrum Poles and Ripton and Co, which I just learned about and they are super rad denim shorts, but for sports. And that is sick. <laughs> Mallory really gives us his life story through the course of this interview. And we go from growing up as a competitive ski racer, moving to a completely different landscape as a truck and field athlete, and then reigniting love for skiing again as a backcountry skier. Mallory really fleshes out some of his experiences as a person of color in the industry, things that he didn't really realize growing up maybe, and now with everything that's going on in the world are a bit more apparent, and some of the struggles that he's had and some of the successes that he's had. So this is our episode, Mallory Duncan. Let's get started. Dropping three, two, one. Bam. Um, <laughs> cool, cool, cool. The internet. We are live. Um, right, on. <laughs> right arm, right arm. Right um, arm. <laughs> right arm, my dudes. Uh, well, Mallory, do you want to do like a, a quick introduction, the ABCs, who you are, kind of spark notes version to let everybody know about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Mallory, and I live currently in the uh, Bend, Oregon, the Pacific Northwest, mostly for the last like six years. Um, I am a sales rep, independent sales rep, and yeah, I just actually started um, my own sales agency, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, I work for a couple brands, and I'm kind of figuring it out as I go. But yeah, also a sponsored skier and, um, and a human being. Uh, yeah, that's it. I'm also, yeah, a black skier here, and uh, yeah, love love being part, love being a part of this podcast. Super excited to get things started. We are excited to have you. <laughs> Super stoked to have you on. Um, let's talk about um, you were saying earlier, and we'll like dive into it a little bit more now that we're on recording. Your story about how you got into skiing and your path towards where you are now like start with that and see where it leads us. Yeah. So basically I have to give most of the credit to, um, my dad, I would say, but you know, my mom also was a, a big part of it. You know, she's a passionate skier, but my dad was kind of the, the person who started dragging me and my sister up to the mountains when we were quite young. Um, you know, he started skiing in his mid thirties. Um, and, you know, once he had kids, you know, I was, I was just talking about this recently, but once he had kids, he was like, all right, I still want to go skiing, but like, I can't just leave my kids like back home and uh, can't like leave them in a box on the mountain. You know, I got to, I got to take them out. So he started, you know, basically taking us out and we started ski school when I was about two years old. Um, and we were that, I was that little Grom who was, you know, hiking up the green carpet and then would ski back down. And then meanwhile, my dad's, you know, all over the mountain skiing around and we were doing that, you know, pretty much every weekend for for a long period of time. At the time, I was in the Bay Area and I was skiing mostly in, in Lake Tahoe. Um, and then, yeah, just started started to develop that passion for for skiing, and that kind of naturally progressed into ski racing, just because that was like the next step at the time. Um, freestyle skiing was kind of just starting to get started, so there was like some mobile skiing at the mountain I was at, Alpine Meadows, but you know, mostly ski racing was what people were doing. So started ski racing when I was probably about, I guess, eight or nine years old. Um, and yeah, I, I wanted to, at that time, like I got super fired up on it and I was like, whoa, um, I want to like take this to the next level. So um, my goal like at a pretty young age actually was to try and go to the Olympics and be like 
you know, one of the first black athletes to ever win a gold medal at the Olympics. Like that was like my goal right out of the gate, which is a super lofty goal <laughs> to have. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how it all started. And, you know, right around the age of like 13 or 14 years old, um, I was at this like crossroads of, you know, what, what do I want to do with, with my like skiing, my ski racing, because a lot of the people I was competing against were either like living in Lake Tahoe or the, they were going to these like specific ski academies and stuff like that. So um, I had to make a decision as to how passionate I was about this and whether I wanted to pursue it on a serious level. And if I did, um, you know, I had to kind of make a commitment to that. And, you know, living in the Bay Area, there wasn't really like driving up every weekend wasn't really sustainable for, um, for me or for my family. So, um, yeah, decided to move up to Lake Tahoe and pursue ski racing on a more serious level. So how many years did you do that for? Uh, the ski racing part of it? Yeah. Yeah. So all through, I mean, probably started when I was like eight or nine years old. And then all through high school, um, I was ski racing. So uh, freshman year to senior year. And then I actually took a year off in high school and college just to try and get my points a little bit lower. Um, I wanted to ski in college, um, specifically at the University of Vermont. And they have a really competitive you know, NCAA Division I program. And after my senior year, I was not on a level where I would have been able to make the team. Um, so I met with the coach at the time. And, you know, he was basically like, you know, you're just, you're just outside of, um, you know, you have a little bit too high of points to be on the team, but you know, if you want to take a year off, there's potential for, for you to join us next season. And one thing worth mentioning is like a lot of the kids on who are freshmen and were on the program, uh, were like 21 years old. So in ski racing, there's so many people who take years, if they want to be serious about it, they take years and years off to try and get their points low enough. So it kind of creates this really difficult opportunity for people coming straight out of high school to make the team. Cause a lot of the people they're competing against um, for spots in the team are either foreign, foreign people from like, I don't know, you know, European or, ski race, or from Europe where ski racing is like a lot bigger or um, they've taken several years off to try and get their points to, to the spot where they need to be. So yeah, did that. Um, took the, it took that year off and, you know, at, after that year off, I was like pretty burnt out on the whole, on the whole thing. Um, I had been putting so much time and energy into it. And I had, I had this problem where I basically would like finish 50% of the races that I was in. And so it was really, really frustrating, super exhausting. Um, and I got done after that year off and I was like, man, my points still weren't low enough. And I was also just like, man, I don't really love this sport anymore. Um, and but I did really still want to go to the University of Vermont because I had visited that school and it seemed really cool. And um, I decided to go there regardless. But that was kind of the end of ski racing for me was uh, I was 19 years old and I was I was ready to move on to the next thing. Hey, that's yeah. OK. We've uh, we've talked about burnout a lot in the past and we we have a lot of compassion towards that. It's the worst one. You know, you're burnt out when something you were passionate about all of a sudden becomes work and like you don't want to do it that's just such a horrible feeling. It's like, I think there's a lot of like guilt that happens with that as well. It's hard to like make that move, but when you do, you're a lot happier. So hundred um, percent. And like, that's what I felt too. Cause like my family had put so much time and energy towards me doing this. And I also put a lot of pressure on myself to like be the best, you know, like I wanted to go to the Olympics and yeah. <laughs> to then just completely shift away from that was a really hard decision to make. But I also knew at the same time that if I did try and pursue that, I, I was going to just not be happy. And um, I decided that that was not really worth it for me. That's um, good. We've said it before. We'll say it again. Boundaries are hot. We love boundaries. Uh, <laughs> it's like putting yourself first. It's like, oh, yeah. Tell me about how you love yourself and you're making hard decisions. Show up for yourself. We're all about it. Yeah. Um, but I like I just wanted to touch on one thing. And, um, you know, you said that, like, when you were younger, you wanted to be the first black ski racer to win a gold medal at the Olympics. And like, you know, there's a couple of things there. Um, like if you were to analyze that statement, like when you were a kid, what drove you to 
um, you know, like that goal, like what did you see in the industry or what did you experience where you're like, I want to do this? Like, what was the motivator for that? Was it intrinsic? Was it cultural? Like um, in the past on the show, we've talked about the concept of ignition, which is a neurological uh, factor of talent building. And that happens when someone sees someone that represents them achieving a goal and in their head they're like holy shit i want to do that but there's other types of motivation as well if that makes sense and that ignition factor for that big goal because that is a huge goal to fight for so like where did that come from for you so i mean it's probably a couple things um i think one of the things was i kind of grew up through this organization called the national brotherhood of skiers and it was the same organization that my dad really started pursuing skiing through and it's a you know a black ski organization and they their whole, um, they have a whole youth program that just develops young, young talent. And the mission statement kind of for that youth program is to put young athletes on like the Olympic stage. So I think that probably had something to do with it. And that kind of planted that seed in my mind. Um, but then I also think it just had something to do with me being a very competitive person and always wanting to be like kind of the best at whatever it was that I was doing. Um, and then the fact that I look around and in this industry, there is, you know, what on my ski team, I was, you know, my sister was on the ski team too. So I was one of two black kids basically who was, who was uh, doing this up there. And yeah, it wasn't like at that time, it wasn't something that necessarily like made me feel um, other. It kind of motivated me to like take that and, try and do something with it so when i saw that when i, when I like realized hey i'm only i'm one of the only people up here and but i'm good at this like there's an opportunity for me to like kind of i don't i don't know if like at this age i was really like oh i can like change the way people see black skiers but i definitely had some level of excitement that was around that it's like cool i'm like one of the few people who's doing this so it actually got me kind of fired up which is yeah a weird thing to say maybe We, no, I think that's super dope. And that's like an inclusive way of looking at it. And like, we talk a lot about how um, community is really important, especially for other groups, because it creates that kind of um, culture and idea that like, you know, you have the same capacity, the same ability, and like, you should push for these things where we've heard from marginalized groups in the industry without that community of likeness and feeling included sometimes they don't pursue the same degree as privileged groups within the industry which is interesting so there can kind of be that double-edged sword and like that is a blanket statement and everybody's concept is different but the continuous kind of i guess uh harmful culture that makes you feel less than can usually lead to an individual not pursuing certain things and that's like something we've seen with womb tang like creating community women are super inspired to progress more they're like chucking threes for the first time like mm-hmm. they feel less self-confident or sorry less self-conscious on the hill they're not apologizing for taking up space as much it's like you know communicating their needs how they progress and it's like that's a really strong thing that comes from community so yeah and i think also like what's interesting is on that kind of same level is like my family kind of created a lot of that community for me and having uh people that i could look to that were kind of in a similar circumstance that i was was interesting so like for example um you know my dad grew up he didn't grow up, he didn't grow up skiing at all he started like i said like in his mid-30s but um he when he first started skiing was one of the few black people on the slope and despite that you know he just continued to pursue it and like no no one was like you have to do this he was like i'm gonna do this because it, it seems really fun and he had a lot of people he was working with most who were white were, were also going up there and skiing too and like he just pursued that um for like his i don't know just from his own excitement about the sport and so to see that happening with him and also like for my mom for example you know she's uh she's a lawyer and like she's the only black person in her firm and so same type of thing, like to see her pursuing this, um, this job in like a predominantly like white space was another way that like that just kind of motivated me because I see both my parents doing this thing and I'm like, cool, like I can, I can excel in this space. Like, and I feel fortunate that I, I did have those role models to look to, um, you know, and keep me excited about this sport despite the fact that I was one of the few people of color doing it. That looks rad. It's like, 
just having people that are breaking those boundaries as your role models, I think that probably does really play into you making a goal like, I'm gonna be the first person that's gonna get a gold medal, the first black person to get a gold medal for skiing at the Olympics. It's gonna be me. Like that that's rad. Like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so so you I can't even think of like a, the appropriate word for it. I like, feel like rad is not a good enough word. <laughs> Yeah, like, maybe, maybe like really really lofty but like you're you're also being like what you want to see you know yeah yeah and like I mean in business I think this can be applied anywhere I I watched a documentary about like anxiety last night which was interesting but in business we look at like the concept of purpose and how that acts as a North Star for organizations and organizations that have a defined purpose which is separate from your mission statement they um, are able to organize like systems and processes and like organizational structure in a way that creates this culture that's dedicated to the purpose. And, you know, like having that purpose is supposed to be audacious. Like for Wumtang, our purpose is to change the entire industry. Like that is what we are passionate about. And we want to see that shift in culture from like governance boards to the cat track, like 120%. But for you to have that goal, like that audacious goal, it's like that would have been very formative and it would have shaped a lot of those experiences and interactions that you had. And I'm sure as an adult too, like even though you didn't, you decided that the ski racing aspect of it was not the goal, you still had that level of ambition, competitiveness and the purpose to like kind of push past barriers, which is super freaking rad, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah totally. it's a broader it's like the purpose. Idea, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Cause it's like the idea of just like by setting that super high goal, um, you know, even if you don't achieve exactly what it is that you that you wanted to, your goal was high enough that, you know, you still land in a, a good position to to do something that is, that is like cool and, um, you know, still, I guess, still hopefully impressive. Hell yeah. So, yeah. So, um, like, where did you go when you decided you didn't want to be in ski racing anymore? Like, what was the next step for you? Because obviously you still had these huge ambitions. And, uh, like, where did you apply that? And what happened after that? Yeah. So I was, like, you know, a very competitive person. Um, and <clears throat> I had put all this time and energy into training, you know, all year round to become, a, you know, a really good ski racer. And, um, but, you know, because I went to a ski academy, there was very few options for like other sports. And, you know, when I was in middle school and in high school or middle school and lower school, um, I was doing all these other sports like soccer and, uh, you know, playing basketball and, and doing all these cool things. But uh, when I started ski racing, I had to put all that stuff aside. So I really wanted to get back into some of these opportunities that I had missed through high school by being so involved in the ski racing world. And um, one of those things I'd always wanted to do was track um, my granddad was a, um, a very inspirational person in my life and he was really big into track. You know, he, he did, he played football in college as well. And, uh, I think on some level he kind of always wanted me to do track and I always wanted to do track. So, um, and then on top of that, it seemed like a sport that was, I don't want to say basic, but like basic enough where it was like, okay, I all have to do is run. Like, I don't have to know the plays. I don't have to like have spent my entire life dedicated to like this sport. If I'm like fast, then I'm fast and I can, I can run with that. Um, and so, yeah, I, um, after I quit ski racing, I immediately joined like a track program and started training, uh, seeing this, like started training basically a couple times a week and we go to the track and do these workouts that they gave me. And so I was just like training and training and doing that. And, uh, you know, started school and had hit up the track coach and was like, Hey, I want to walk on, try and walk onto the team if I can. And I remember I, I told my, um, my good friend actually, who I went to high school with and who's still, uh, still a good friend of mine today. His name's Corey. He, um, I told him I wanted to run track and I was with, um, you know, with one of the, like my teachers or something. And they were like, yo, like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't, I don't like it. I don't know if you're able to walk onto the track team. And that just got me even, I was like, I'm going to prove, I'm going to prove it wrong. And uh, I, I mean, I love this teacher. I still talk to him today, but he definitely kind of shut me down. And it just, you know, uh, got me, it made me want to prove him wrong really, really badly. And so I was just like training super hard and in my head. I was like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove him wrong. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join the track team. It's going to be good. And so, um, yes. Yeah, so, if you have fans in the Lily Rock, please go with them. If you're not, 
<laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> is your van in the loading dock? <laughs> it is not in the loading dock. It is parked in a parking spot that I paid for, so we're good. <laughs> oh, man, I'm at a funny. massive trade show right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Honestly, but, I don't think I'm going to cut that out because that was pretty funny. <laughs> um, let's see. What was I saying? Yeah, so I wanted to prove my my uh, teacher wrong. And I also just, like, wanted to do this sport. I mean, it wasn't all motivated by trying to prove someone wrong. It was also because I was, like, excited to, to do something new. And then also, like, on top of that, track is, like, a um, – a much more like diverse sport than ski racing was. So that was really appealing to me because I was going to uh, University of Vermont, which is like by no means a diverse school, but the track program was like a kind of little microcosm of diversity within that school. Um, so it, it would have been really cool. It was I was excited to like be around other people who looked like me and like be a part of a sport that like had other athletes that looked like me. And so, um, so yeah, like freshman year, I um, tried out for the team and, was like, I remember at at the um, the tryouts after like it was like a, I like trained with the team for like a month and the tryouts happened, and I think I got last at almost every single tryout, um, every single event, but um, which it was like the six hundred the six or the sixty meter, um, the three hundred, and and then I think I might have tried some other event, but I yeah failed pretty epically at all of them and I was like man I'm I'm done like there's there's no way I'm gonna make this team but uh I guess my track coach like saw some passion within me or something like that because you know the next day or a couple days later when I looked at the uh the roster I was on there and some of the other kids who I was training with weren't on there which was surprising I mean to this day I'm still surprised that I made the team because I really did not do well at the tryouts but um but yeah uh, made the team and yeah, ended up being pretty good at it actually, which was cool. Um, yeah, over the course of, you know, four years, I, imp I improved a lot over my first season. And then my second year, I actually, um, like won the uh, America East championships and in the 400 meter hurdles, which was my, the event I didn't want to do because it was just like, you know, really, really exhausting. Um, it sucks. I yeah, I wanted to be Usain Bolt. I wanted to run the 100 meter and just like, you know, run for nine seconds or whatever, or 10 seconds, and then be done for like the rest of the day. Um, versus the 400 meter hurdles, it's like, you know, the average time is kind of like mid 50s. So, and you're running as hard as you possibly can for, you know, 50 seconds to a minute. Uh, so you get done and it's like, you want to throw up. And that just did not feel appealing to me at all. Um, yeah. I raced track as well, like through okay. high school. Yeah, through high school and then like a little bit in varsity. Then I injured my ankle and I was done. And that's when I started skiing again. But I raced hurdles and like 400 meters is, yeah. was my event. So like even just a 400 meter, like straight 400 meter, meter I don't know if I've ever Real. finished one and not had ass cramps. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. your butt is like fully cramped up. And like that's the only way I can describe that race to people is like, you feel like you're going to throw up and your butt is cramping. Yeah, And totally. then if you run 400 meters hurdles, you have that. And also you have to like make it over the hurdles, especially the last hundred meters. You have to find your way over that hurdle without landing on your face and then feeling like you're going to throw up and having ass cramps. 100%. 100%. And like the worst <laughs> thing ever, yeah, is like getting done and you're just like, the legs are all seized up and you're just sitting there like, ah, like honestly, like, on, on the verge of uh yeah just having really really bad feelings and i remember sometimes you'd hit the last the last hurdle like you kick the last hurdle and you would just like hit a wall immediately and the last 50 meters of that race felt like it took like a year of your life as you're just running so slowly trying to like regain acceleration uh yeah, yeah it was brutal so I, I definitely did not want to do that event but i was pretty good at it which was i guess a good thing yeah 400 meters and 800 meters are like pure masochism yeah. <laughs> I think it's masochism. Masochism? Did I say masochism? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I That's like, all I had to contribute to that. I am not a runner at all. I, I got I got little legs. They don't move very fast. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's not anyway. Much. That's the thing Respect about track. for being good at that event. Yeah. Because it's freaking hard. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I think part of the reason why it translated pretty well is because, um, you know, ski racing is very similar uh, time, you know, so like a GS course is like maybe a minute long and you're going as hard as you can for a minute. So it worked out really well um, because I would had been training for the last five years at that same kind of distance or that same amount of time. Uh, so it just translated great. Um, even though I wanted to do, you know, a 10 second race, it made more sense for me to transition into a minute long race. Yeah, for uh, sure. But, um, yeah. Dope ski racing, the <laughs> track field star. Yeah, it was weird. It was I definitely know. weird. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, you have that competitive nature. I, uh, I was talking to my mom about like some stuff when I was a kid the other day and she was like, you were so competitive. She was like, you hated to lose. Like I hated playing games, anything like that, because if I lost, I'd have a full on meltdown or I'd get super frustrated. And I'm definitely like that as an adult too. I get that like angry, I need to do better thing. And it's not usually against other people. It's usually just against myself, which sounds like what you you experience as well. It's like, okay, let's go, Tori. I can do better. I know yeah. Renee gets that as well. That or also just like, like you've also kind of described this too, like trying to prove someone wrong. Like yeah. Someone says like, no, you're not going to make this team. And you're like, oh, hell yeah, I am. Like, like you, bitch, you just watch. Yeah. <laughs> I'll yeah, show some, you. <laughs> yeah. For some reason. Yeah. I think, I think, I think a lot of people feel that way where, you know, if you, if somebody questions you or, or like challenges you instead of like shutting down, like it gets you pretty fired up, especially if you're a competitive person. It's like, cool. I want to, you're gonna you're gonna say I can't do this. Like that's gonna make you want to do it even more, which I think is a good thing. I think it's a good thing. It is a good that. thing. Yeah, and I get that. Oh, sorry, go uh, Renee. No, you go first. No, you go. Okay, well, because I was gonna I was gonna move on. That's why I'm saying you go first. I was gonna say because you're in Vermont. What did actually what did you do for your degree there? What did you uh, study? I studied business, and I like fully quit skiing um, for like a year or two. But yeah, I was just involved in um a couple different things i was like an english major you know like many many high school students going to college i didn't know what i wanted to do and i was like an english major originally and wanted to be like a journalist or something like that and but then i realized i don't really like reading books that much and so you know they gave me like a stack of like seven books in each of my classes i was like yeah there's no way this is going to work out and so after like a year or two i kind of found business and um I studied entrepreneurship specifically, and then I also minored in music. So that was kind of what I was studying throughout college. Um, yeah. Uh, Carly said that your Instagram name comes because you were a rapper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's actually yeah, just segued perfectly into this random fact <laughs> that I learned about you. Which is why I'll have to like, which is why I'll probably have to like change my Instagram name so that people can't find my rap <laughs> profile. But yeah, I used to make uh, music when I was in college, which was like, Another way in which, you know, kind of like jumping back, like when I was in high school, I was in this really small ski academy that, um, you know, thankfully, uh, you know, my a combination of the National Brotherhood of Skiers supporting me through high school and then my parents like devoting all of this time and, and um, sacrificing a lot of like other things in order to send me to this like, super expensive school. Um, but because of that, I was like one of the few, I was the only black kid at my school. And that was a really interesting experience. Um, and it was definitely uh, looking back and, and honestly when it was happening was, was quite difficult. But um, so I grew up in this like really like, or I developed through my adolescence in this very white space. And uh, in some ways it kind of felt like I was <clears throat> like a little bit robbed of this like black identity that, that I had. Um, and so like when I went to college, one of the ways that I was trying to reclaim that was to like, put myself in these more like traditionally black spaces and so like track and field was one of those places where i could just be around more people who looked like me uh hip-hop music was something that i always listened to through college and it kind of made me feel made me feel connected to that part of my identity and so um when i went to college i was like cool i'm gonna, I'm gonna like start making start making rap music because like I, I love hip-hop music and i also just like like music um and this is like a way that I can feel connected to that. So uh, that's kind of how it led to, that's how I kind of ended up being a, a rapper, Galactic Brown. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I did that, that all throughout college, <laughs> all throughout college. Yeah. And 
yeah, stop doing that afterwards because honestly, largely because I, I really liked being outside and I spent a lot of time behind a computer um, or in like a dark room editing music and like making beats and, and whatnot. And it just really prevented me from being in the outdoors, which is something I had found my way back to after I, after I graduated. Did you move to the Pacific Northwest after you graduated? I moved back to the Bay Area. Oh. And yeah, I was living in Berkeley for, for like probably a year and a half. And then I moved to the Pacific Northwest like shortly after that. Hey, thank you. Uh, sorry, guys. I just like inhaled and choked on my water super hard. So I might like, yeah, we're just reviving after that. Um, <laughs> oh, excuse me. Um, but you touched on something I think would be awesome to articulate a little further on. And that was like, you know, um, being in ski racing, like it is a very like white elitist masculine, like all of those kind of like, you know, systemic cultural aspects that we look at. And um, like you said, you felt that you've more included in track and field and, you know, there was more like representation and a broader community. Like, um, what was that like for you on either side? Like, did you, when you were younger, you said that you maybe didn't really realize that as much other than like the obvious, you and your sister only being on the team. But as you started to grow up and like you pushed into university and stuff, like what were those differences for you, like for you, like what made track and field more inclusive? And is there anything you've seen as you've pushed, pushed past college um, in the industry that's made it more inclusive? Yeah, so I mean, like, I guess I just had like a greater sense of belongingness uh, when I was on the track team, just because I saw a lot of people around me who, who, um, who looked like me. And then also like on top of that, you know, you look at track on television on, on like the national stage and there's all these like black athletes who are just crushing it and it's great um and so i, I think like as i mentioned before like you know on, on one level i felt like when i was in ski racing there was this opportunity to do something incredible and like be one of the first black people to win this this uh um to like win a, a medal at the olympics but at the same time like by not seeing that i felt like on some level it was like unachievable. And so I wasn't, I wanted to do that, but it was just like, man, like why is nobody else doing this? You know, why are there no other black athletes? Like maybe this isn't a place um, where I can like succeed. And so there was just like this sense of doubt that was kind of like starting to creep in, you know, after, you know, years of trying and trying and trying and kind of like not succeeding um, versus like track and field. It's like, I'm watching, you know, Usain Bolt and Allison Felix and all these like incredible black athletes just like doing uh, amazing things. And I'm like, I can succeed at this. Like I can see um, this person doing what I want to do. And like, I can see myself in that position. You know, it's very much, I, I was listening to this um, really long podcast about, you know, this was like specifically about Tiger Woods and specifically just about him being one of the only black athletes in, in golf and like the things that he did for that sport and, and how he motivated a lot of black golfers to like enter the sport, you know? And um, that was huge. You know, that was huge. Just him being like, and there's a lot, there's a lot in that, you know, um, just about maybe, you know, Tiger Woods didn't necessarily like identify as a black person, but the black community kind of like, was like, Hey man, like you should do that. Cause we're like really excited about it. But yeah, there's a lot to unpack in that whole thing. And then, you know, the other things with what went on with him. But um, yeah, the point being is like by seeing like with golf being a predominantly white sport, but having like a black athlete, like Tiger Woods, it motivated a lot of people, a lot of black athletes to do that. And I never really had that until um, I didn't really have that in ski racing so much because there just weren't any people, that many people on the national stage. And, you know, I want to give credit where credit's due. You know, like there are definitely athletes out there you know who are who are doing that now and you know black athletes out there who are doing some really really cool stuff and you know one of those people for me was like you know andre horton and uh suki horton and lauren samuels and like all these really incredible black skiers who who are like very much badasses and like they were kind of developed i was kind of developing with them at the same time so there were there were definitely people out there who i could look to but there just weren't that many and it, it made it really um difficult to like see myself in that role even though I, I wanted to be in that role yeah and track is just like the opposite end of the spectrum I guess it's a representation 
It is. Yeah. And those are the ignition processes that we were talking about, right? Like, it sounds like you had that initial ignition with your family, seeing them like pursue these aspects, but then getting into it, there wasn't really the cultural structure or systemic structure within the outdoor industry to kind of support that progression and that interest in it because of the lack of representation and inclusivity. And that's where we need to see that, that change, right? Like nobody should feel like for whatever reason, like, you know, circumstances that are inherently out of their control, like their gender, their sexuality, their race, um, like whether they're disabled or not, should not prevent them from feeling like they can succeed and from having the resources that they need to succeed. It's like, and resources is very broad. It's like not just financial, it's also like, you know, that cultural part, community, education, uh, access to gear, like resources is encompasses all of those different support systems that somebody needs to push through shit. And like, we're definitely recognizing in society right now where we have a lot of fallacies um, that don't help people. So I think that like your perspective on those two things, it really highlights how the ski industry, like society has a ways to go, but the ski industry and the outdoor industry for some reason is so far behind. And I think it's because it hasn't had to evolve before. It's been operating in a model that's just worked since day one. And it's like, nah, we're kind of over it. It's like time to shine, baby. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. yeah. What was it like coming back to skiing for you? Where you had this space where you did have more representation and then moving back into skiing again? Yeah, um, man, that's that's interesting. It was, <laughs> uh, what was it like for me? Well, I mean, first off, like, just when I look at the current landscape and what's happening, what's happening now, uh, there's a lot of really exciting things um, in the industry with, you know, there being a little more representation. And I, I know people have like varying opinions on this, but um, I do think it's really cool there, there's like this, I was talking to uh, a, friend of, a friend of mine about this, uh, Annette, who has this awesome organization um, called Edge, and they like help bring, you know, people of color up to the mountains and, and uh, women specifically and, and teach them to ski and whatnot. But this idea of like tokenization versus like a beacon of hope. And like, like you see like, a, you know, there's this tokenization where a lot of what I'm struggling with, and I think a lot of people of color in the industry right now are struggling with, is like, how do I work with a, with a brand who like suddenly is like reaching out to me, like trying to involve me? And are they like authentic about it or are they not authentic about it? And am I being tokenized? And if I am being tokenized, like, what does that mean? Like, is this still, is this still like partially positive because maybe other young black athletes will see me and be like, oh, this is like, whoa, like who's this person on this poster or whatever? So it's like, it's really hard right now just trying to see, figure out what the difference is between how do I work with the brand in an authentic way and how do I not work with the brand in an authentic way? And that's a new struggle that I've had. But when I first jumped back into the industry, a lot of the reason I did was because of, um, it was all because of backcountry skiing, basically. I mean, that's what, that's what got me involved in it. And um, I don't know, it was just like this combination of, these two things that I really that I really like to do. Uh, the first was, you know, just like uh, being outdoors and hiking, and like it was kind of like this track mentality, you know, like backcountry kind of combines like that track part of my life a little bit more. That like kind of running side of things that feels a little bit more like um, true to who I am and like true to like my culture, I guess. Of like, you know, we're just outside, we're running, hiking, whatever, you know. And then it combines this other skiing thing that I had grown up doing for so long. Um, so it was like the perfect combination of, the, of these two passions that I had. Um, so that's kind of what got me back involved in it. Um, and then also I had a lot to do with the East Coast mentality. Honestly, like being on the East Coast and going to college out in Vermont, uh, I had lost this passion for ski racing because, you know, it would snow two feet of snow. I'd be like, oh, well, I can't train, so I'm not even going to ski. I'm not even going to ski powder, you know, like. I don't even like powder. I just want to ski groomers, you know, and uh, which is crazy to think about now. But um, when I went to the East Coast, it's like they don't really get as much snow out there. I don't know if y'all, either of y'all have ever skied out there before, but they don't get quite as much snow as we get out here on the West Coast. 
I have heard that there's a reason we say West Coast is the best coast, but that, that also means I have zero desire to go to the East Coast. So <laughs> well, here's the here's what I will say, and here's the credit I will give to the East Coast. It seems like they have like a lot of get, soul. Like they love to ski. Yeah. A lot of stoke. Like I just know I remember specifically it would snow like two inches and it would be like negative 20 degrees out. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not like leaving the house. And everyone else at UVM is like, we're skipping school. We're going to go to the mountain. Like, but guys, it just snowed two inches. Like, can we all, can we just relax? Like, it's not that serious. Like, this is two inches of snow. But people will get so hyped about it that it kind of like reinvigorated this, um, this like passion I had lost for skiing. And I, by seeing people around me getting so excited about two inches, I was like, cool, I can get excited about this too. And so then when I moved back to the West Coast and we, I started experiencing what it was like to get like two foot storms, then that like really took me to the next level. Um, so, yeah. I don't really powder, know if that even answered your question, great. but <laughs> powder is great. Um, one thing I wanted to say, and it's something that I've really learned and like something that I've not had to consider myself with working with brands, but from Indra who runs Inclusivity. Yeah. yeah. And one thing that she says that she asks brands and it really opens her eyes up to what their goals are with working with her is she'll straight up ask them, what is their experience in working with people with people of color? what diversity, equity, inclusion training they have and how they plan to support people who are minorities or marginalized groups in the ski industry. And like really leading the conversation with that and seeing, okay, well, what's their experience here? What's their expertise here? Am I going to be doing the work for this brand or are they going to be meeting me partway and doing the work with me? Like, do they expect me to do it all or or is it gonna be a yeah, partnership? Yeah. And that's Absolutely. something that she's like said that she will lead with sometimes with brands just to figure out like where they're at and what this what their partnership is going to look like, whether it's something that is worth pursuing or not. And it sucks that I've not necessarily had to deal with that so much myself. But um, anyway, that might just yeah, be like no, a I piece of advice. That no, might help you. I don't know. <laughs> I totally think so. I mean, that's that's definitely like a very very important thing that I that I do like look for, and um, yeah, it's a really good way of like addressing that issue just right off the bat, right off the bat to see where they're at. Um, it's been interesting, just like kind of starting to have these conversations with brands, and also understanding like I I think like finding my own voice in the outdoor industry has has been like a really big. Um, has been something that I've been, I guess, moving towards in the last like year or two. Um, I've spent so much time being like one of the only black people out, like at the place that I'm at or at the ski resort that I'm at or at the school that I'm at, that I've almost like had to like not think about it, you know, just like try not to think about it constantly. Cause if I'm gonna get, you know, if I'm constantly thinking about, man, like I'm the only dude out here, I'm the only person out here, you know, who looks like this, then I just, it puts me in kind of this weird, headspace and so um recently I've, I've been trying to like embrace that a little bit more and really really like i guess address it on my own personal level so that i can like learn to ask for the things that i need and like be outspoken about it um versus just being like all right whatever like you guys you guys do what you need to and uh, i'm just i'm just here and like you know i think a, a really good um I guess example that I've felt recently is um, like just in talking to other people, other black people in the, in the industry, like for example, Annette, like I was just saying, one thing that she's been, has she said to me that was really inspirational was, you know, she's working on a program, I think it was with Wendell's and she was trying to get a spot for uh, people like a person of color. And instead of asking for one spot, she asked for two spots. She's like, cause I don't want there to be just one person out there. And then they have to go through that experience. And I'm like, that's so true. Like I lived that experience and I never ever would have even thought about that. Despite the fact that I've lived that experience, you know, I've just, I don't know. I've just like gotten so used to that to the point where coming from this perspective, I, I can't even, um, yeah. I mean, it's just, I've gotten so used to it that it's kind of like reteaching myself how to stand up for that type of thing and not like just do whatever the brand wants you to do or 
um, you know, ask for a little bit more than maybe I would have otherwise, I guess is what I'm saying. I totally get that. You know, like something I am currently working on um, and it kind of aligns with it is like learning a how to stand up for yourself and ask for what you need, but also learning how to like quantify your your value or what value you can bring and not being scared to ask for it. I am so I have such a hard time with that, like putting my foot down and figuring out exactly what I need or what I'm worth in a situation. And it takes a lot of like introspective searching and then like, you know, identifying what your values are, like, what are you trying to achieve? What do you need? Like, does this organization or company or brand meet those goals? And I'm starting to figure that out with work as well. Like, rather than just taking any opportunity I get, it's like, no, like I need to cultivate an environment that is supportive and meets my needs. And it's, uh, you know, it's to step forward into that space, whether it's with like mental health, um, you know, feeling comfortable and uh, supported with diversity, all those kinds of things. It's something that all of us have to do better at because being silent and not asking for things means that things never change, right? But also being silent and not asking for things is a symptom of being in a non-inclusive and not safe space to ask for those needs. So like a lot of us have had experience where we have spoken up and we've been shut down in the past, right? So yeah, definitely. But I think it's really cool that like, you know, like you are going on that journey because it's not easy. It is not easy. We say boundaries are hot, but holy shit, setting boundaries is one of the hardest things anybody can do. It's like, it's a skill set, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. really cool having other people to look to, to who maybe like are more in touch with that, um, like that, or, or more comfortable asking or starting to become more comfortable asking for that and seeing them do that. Because that's like inspirational for me. So like for Indra, like, you know, she's been really good about uh, talking about these things and vocalizing like these experiences that she's had. And it's, it's made me like, whoa yeah, like I need to think about my own experience a little bit more and like, what is it that I need as well? Like as a person of color in this industry, like what should, what can I be asking for? Like, cause the bare minimum isn't definitely is not enough, you know? And like, I've gotten to this point where it's like, all right, I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get through and I shouldn't just be trying to get through. I should be trying to like ask for more and, and trying to build something cool, you know? So, and yeah. So for the, so, so the people behind me, um, you know, can, can have a better experience in the future. Hell yeah. And also the work of like, you know, thriving, not just surviving through the industry is a lot. And you deserve to be paid for your time because you are going to make significant change. Like, you know, putting yourself on those lines to be that representative individual is, um, it's a lot like, uh, you know, even with Womb Tang, Renee and I have been experiencing that a lot because for a long time, Womb Tang was kind of anonymous. And our memes, like nobody knew Renee was making them and now everybody does. And the messages and like the critiques um, and sometimes the harassment that we experience from being in the public eye are really challenging. And like the expectation for, you know, someone to show up as an activist 24 seven, it's like we're people too. And it's it's really interesting. The, yeah, it's a... Uh, you deserve compensation for your time and you deserve to feel safe and it's dope you're stepping up and just do what's right for you at the end of the day and change will come about from that it's like making waves and those waves ripple 100 percent. and i think one thing that's cool though um that i i feel like i can kind of uh i think one way that i'm able to maybe I guess relate with the with the business or not have to like have some like as an athlete i guess what i'm saying is like as an athlete you know you, you when when a brand approaches you and they want to want to like sponsor you or they want to work with you it's like okay well you want me to be an athlete but like what are you guys doing and you know kind of asking these type of questions but as a like a business person when i'm like a, a sales rep there's that's kind of already a good sign if someone wants to work with me because i know that they don't want to just work with me to have a face as an athlete, you know, as like a, you know, person they can put on a poster when I'm as a sales rep, it's like, I'm actually part of this business. So if you want to involve me in the business, like that's actually a good sign for me. So I do like a respect brands that want to bring me on, not just as an athlete, but as a sales representative and as a, um, someone who's gonna be part of that company, you know, cause that's what I look to. That's what I look to 
Right? That's what I look for as an athlete when a, when a brand approaches me. It's like, oh, well, do you have other people of color who are involved in this organization? Um, a lot of the time, they don't. Um, as a rep, I can be that person. I can be that person who's involved with the organization. And um, I know that's important to me. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's somewhere where we we're talking about like, what, where do you have value? And you have been to school for this. You've worked as a sales rep in the past. Like you are the perfect person to be doing that job. So we yeah. need you. <laughs> we need you. <laughs> I I actually have an interesting example of like you you touched on the fact where you were considering like okay if I'm working with this brand is it still a good thing because it's increasing representation but like are they authentically like or am I a tokenism like where's the line there and it reminds mm -hmm. me of this conversation I had with uh well okay this is like weird but at my university we would call him like the accounting daddy. <laughs> was Allie because anybody that sucked at accounting he like helped all of us pass that class pretty much um he like nice. yeah shining star he was like yeah absolute legend but, I could have um, used uh the accounting daddy in my classes for accounting I was right? really bad at that <laughs> oh fuck it was my worst class I'm so bad at accounting um I love economics but yeah accounting I just sorry guys <laughs> Again, Please. not your van. This person doesn't want to move their van, and they're <laughs> creating some issues here at the Oregon Convention Center. Get those cars out of here, guys. Park in the parking garage right on the street. That was a announcement. Get him out of here, guys. Like, holy guacamole. Lady's <laughs> had enough of this BMW's bullshit. <laughs> She's like, fuck you, Ro. I'm just trying to have a good day today. It's Friday. Let's go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what I was going to say about Ali is he's like, like he has a shit ton of experience. He's uh, like top of his class. And he was trying to get a job at an engineering firm or sorry, an accounting firm. And we were having a beer and talking about it. And he's, um, he's Muslim, like parents are first generation immigrants. And like he has experienced quite a bit of like, um, you know, othering in society and racism, xenophobia. And at this firm, they were looking to hire women or members of the LGBTQIAS plus community. And he was really upset about it. He was like, I bet I am way more qualified than they are. And like this and this and this. And like, I can't get a job right now. And it's bullshit. And all these organizations are just looking to hire them because they're trying to like diversify their staff. And I was like, uh, it was an interesting perspective because obviously he is part of like a, you know, an oppressed group um, and a, a minority group in North America. But I was like, have you ever thought about the fact that it's not that like, it's not that they're taking away opportunity from you, but that the playing field's leveling out. It's like, it's, there's more competition because organizations are, um, looking to hire individuals that are outside of the typical hiring pool, which is like cis white men, because in yeah. accounting, it's always cis white dudes, right? Yeah. And he was like, wow, yeah, I've never thought of that before. And he was like, but it's so like woke wash for them to be doing it because it's just a fad. And I was like, again, like, hmm. you know, whatever the organization's values are and why they're doing it, if it is like a marketing tool, so they can say that they're more diverse and they have like, you know, strategy that's looking at diversifying their workforce, they're still increasing access to their jobs and they're still increasing representation. And I was like, that's still super important. But the difference between that and your story is that those are people being hired to work for a company, right? Often working with brands in the industry, the ski industry, it's common that um, athletes are not compensated for their work. And like you said, and like what Indra said, looking at the level of diversity on their teams can hint towards tokenism and asking them if they do have a diversity, equity and inclusion, uh, you know, strategy in place. But, you know, that that concept, it's, it's interesting to see people get super fussed about not having as many opportunities because there's just more opportunities for other people where there wasn't before. And I think women deal with that a lot too because guys get pissed off that we get opportunities because they think they're better than us and like there's more competition but it's like why this doesn't take anything away from you like why are yeah. you so pissed about it <laughs> yeah yeah it's interesting yeah i mean like it's crazy just uh 
that people do, and, and that, that's a very interesting circumstance too, um, specifically because Ali is like a person of color and, you know, you think he would understand the, the kind of issues that, you know, these other marginalized communities are going through. But um, yeah, you know, like, I guess when you have these own, your own struggles in your, in your life, it's, it's hard to be like, step, you know, you're not necessarily stepping aside to let someone through. It's like, like you said, you know, you're creating a more level playing field for everybody. Um, and I think really like part of it is it comes back to like what I was saying before, like, like asking for more, you know, if you do, let's say there is a brand that is bringing you in and, and you know, you know, maybe it's not, maybe you are the only person of color who's part of that organization, you know, you can step in there and you can ask for more, like ask for more and push that agenda. And maybe they came into it like, oh, I just want to like hire this person because they, you know, are going to make my organization seem like they're more woke. Um, but if you can get in that organization and then you can do something that actually is going to impact other people of color or, or like other marginalized communities, then like you're actually twisting the arm of that corporation or that organization and, and making them do something that's positive, even though they maybe didn't initially, um, you know, see it going that way. So there are opportunities. There are definitely opportunities. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's like, I think we do want to work with organizations that actually give a shit about the issues that we care about too. So that's another consideration. Handy P. Yeah, For sure. Have you felt like as you moved into more of a backcountry skiing, what has been the difference in the culture for you comparing to ski? Uh, sorry, words are, are getting hard <laughs> compared to, Compared to ski racing, moving into backcountry skiing, has it been a different atmosphere for you in terms of like inclusion and and feeling more I don't even know how I want to word yeah, this yeah. question. But do you know what I, do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah. Like yeah. what's the atmosphere like for you in backcountry skiing versus ski racing? There we go. That's that's my question. Yeah. Um I think that the backcountry does feel um, man, I think it does feel, it's, it's hard to differentiate just because when I was scary racing, it was, you know, that was five, I took five years between when I started scary racing and when I started in backcountry again. So I think the industry as a whole, um, progressed a little bit, but, um, when I was ski racing, it definitely felt like it was, I mean, it's an incredibly expensive sport, you know, incredibly expensive. And so like the boundaries there are, um, uh, are huge and, or the, um, the barriers, excuse me, they're huge. And so it is a lot of not just, you know, like a white space, but like a very high like upper class white space. And so a lot of the people who I was working with or who I was skiing with, um, come from this background where they not only have they, uh, not only are they like you know, they don't look like me or whatever, but they also um, just like probably haven't even been around that many black people in their life. So I felt a lot of, um, I felt a lot, I, there's a lot of discrimination that I, that I felt when I was in that ski racing community, because I think of just like the, the level of class that was involved um, versus backcountry obviously is still a very expensive sport, but um, I feel like there's a lot more like uh, people who are, like weaseling their way into getting pro deals and doing these kind of things that maybe uh, they actually from these not necessarily like super high, uh, super upper, uh, upper class backgrounds. And so the people who I spent time with, I didn't feel like I haven't felt as much discrimination as I did in, in the ski racing community. If that does, does that make sense? Like I think that the the um, yeah the level of class is a little bit different than in ski racing it's just like people have so much money because you got to have so many pairs of skis and you got to travel so much and you know uh, i kind of came from like a comfortable middle class background and my parents like really really did put a, everything on the line in order to help me get to that point so um you know it was definitely uh you know i'm so thankful for what they've done for me and what the mbs has done for me to help help get me there but i i think that the the people who are involved in that are are coming from a completely different place, not a completely different place, but a slightly different place than, than people who are involved in like backcountry skiing, I guess. When you are skiing in the backcountry, are you still the only black person in the group or like, 
do you yeah. have groups that are yeah. more diverse? Like, what, what about that? Um, yeah, so it's funny because I was joking around with my, I joke around with my friends sometimes and I'm like, man, you've skied with more black people than I have. Cause I've never skied with another, you know, another black, or I, I've never seen the back country with another black person, you know? So it's like, yeah, you've actually skied with more, with more people than I have, you know? But yeah, I had a couple experiences. Um, shout out to Ian Zadaran, who, who is one of, um, you know, his family's from, uh, he's a Mexican American who lives down in uh, Los Angeles or like outside of Los Angeles and has a really cool organization. But I had a really big trip with him on Mount Jefferson. Um, like two years back and that was like one of the first people of color that i actually had the opportunity to ski in the backcountry with um so yeah definitely i am still the in all of my um all of my partners are generally yeah all white people and predominantly white males and how do you go about choosing backcountry partners that feel safe to you that like do make you feel included and you don't feel othered in any way or have you ever had any experiences with that just within like trying to find partners yeah i mean first off it's so hard to find partners are like in general in that country because you need to have to find someone who's like has the same kind of values that you do same objectives that you do same risk tolerances that you do and then um on top of that when you put like is also going to be like respectful to to you and have like similar like um i guess like make you feel included and not say something that's gonna make you feel othered or, or like put you in like a weird circumstance it's like whoa there's, that's a lot of stuff to have to deal with and trying to find a partner um so yeah generally i would say like um i yeah i, mean, I have most of my partners are are like very accepting and and don't say things that make me feel uncomfortable about the color of my skin. Um, but yes, you know, there are, there are some who, who I have felt that way about. And um, yeah, it's, it's like interesting. Cause it's like, all right, well, do I say something because, but like, this is also somebody who I align with in a lot of other ways. Like, do I, but like, I also don't want to be in this position of being with this person that has to deal with this. So how do I go about it? Like, I guess I'm still figuring that out, but um I, like I said, I've been, I've been like more vocal about saying things to people when they say something to me. And if they have a problem with that, then it's like a very easy transition into like, all right, cool. Well, like, obviously we're not like, you're feeling comfortable about me saying this to you. Like you probably don't want to spend time with me either. So like, this is good. Like we don't need to be partners anymore. So, I mean, I think what I, I guess to answer your question then, what I do is now I'm just more vocal about it. And like, if someone says something that makes me feel uncomfortable, I'll, I'll say something about it. And if that's a problem, then, then it's a problem. And we both know it. Um, but yeah, I think like in general, um, you know, one of my first uh, partners in the backcountry who is incredibly respectful and open to talking about these things as well as just like being um making me feel included was um my friend josephine bond who is like um you know she's she's rad she's one of the first people i ever skied skied in the backcountry with and uh, we don't necessarily align in everything as far as our risk tolerances and our objectives and stuff like that but we still i still really really enjoy skiing with her because of the way that we communicate and because you know she uh makes me feel included and i, I think that's super important too so you know, sometimes you got to sacrifice, I guess what I'm saying is sometimes you got to sacrifice some of those other things that you look for in a backcountry partner in order to um, just have a more comfortable experience when it comes to, you know, you know, being, a, you know, the color of my skin or whatever it is, those type of things. So yeah. it's, a, it's a sliding scale. You know, you got to find, you got to find, you got to sacrifice some things if you want to, um, if you want to feel included, I guess. You betcha. We uh, we kind of touched on that in our last episode. I was like, you can block people in real life. It's called skiing away from them. It's like, bye, bitch. <laughs> it's like, it just works. It's like, we're not going to be a thing. But like learning how to like set those boundaries and you can also do it passively. Like if you find that you do not feel safe, um, you don't know that person anything at the end of the day. It's your personal preference. Like it depends on what level of relationship you have with them. If it's a new thing, it's kind of like Tinder, right? Like swipe left. See ya. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
that's what boundaries do. Boundaries are a natural filter for bad things in your life. <laughs> they work like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And like, that's another reason why it's just like so much better to, to speak your mind and, and be true because if you don't, then you end up in a circumstance where you're like, well, here I am skiing with this person who's being a total dick. And this is my own fault for not saying something about it earlier on. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's a, uh, and it feels, nothing feels worth worse than like that kind of like self-sacrifice because it's harder to get back when you feel like you haven't been true to yourself. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, puts you in a hole. But, um, I think we do this every single time and everybody's probably sick of hearing about it, but we love to talk. That's why we're on a podcast. But I think we got to like wrap it up here quickly. Um, okay. It was really great having you here today. Like, do you want to maybe uh, tell everybody where they can reach you? Like if you have any cool projects on the way, if there's any sponsors you want to plug, it's kind of like your time to shine and wrap it up how you'd like. Yeah. Uh, well, you can find me on Instagram at Galactic Brown. Um, <laughs> yeah just on instagram um it's my main social media platform and then yeah just like i um want to give a shout out to the brands i work with uh fulcrum mountain which we make backcountry ski touring poles are awesome i'm also an ambassador for them uh ripton and co if you haven't heard of them they're really really cool uh, they make high, they make performance denim products um and i work with them as like an ambassador as well as as well as a sales rep, which is kind of like what I'm trying to do with all the companies I work with. Um, and then I, um, yeah, give a shout out to Forefront Skis as well, which is one of my sponsors. Um, and then, yeah, you know, like I got the sales agency that I'm trying to do some cool things with. It's called Uhuru Mountain Collective. Look out for the cool stuff that we're doing. Uh, you know, we're at the beginning stages here. It's like two months that we've been in business, but I'm really excited to kind of do some, uh, kind of, you know, repping is this industry where there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who've been doing it for a long time. And there's a lot of like older white males who've been doing it for a really long time. And as like a young black person who has like kind of this platform of the rep, sales rep, like, I really want to like bring some more exciting innovation to this side of the business. And um, so yeah, look out for us. Like I'm, I really think that we're going to do some cool things and change the game a little bit. So I don't get too ahead of myself myself because we definitely got a lot of proving to still do but it's something i'm really excited about and yeah it's been great i really really appreciate you know um everyone in this industry who has shown me that inclusion who has been nice and who has given me the opportunity to um yeah like just work with awesome brands and um and learn and and go from being just like an ex-ski racer to like a backcountry skier to a to a writer, to a uh, ambassador, and now a, a business owner. And I'm excited to see that continue to grow. We're excited to see that continue to grow. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, yeah, sick. Thank you so much. Everybody, uh, like, check Mallory out. We will link his Instagram in the bio for this episode so you guys can all see him and, like, cough, cough, rap career, cough, cough, Instagram name. <laughs> Just maybe, yeah, cough, cough, if anybody picked up on that, <laughs> go buy his thing. But uh, yeah, this is another episode of Big Stick Energy. Mallory is blushing now. <laughs> you can blame Carly. This one's on Carly. She definitely. Damn it, Carly. <laughs> I got to switch my handle. <laughs> yeah, I asked her, like, what is something we could ask Mallory about? And she's like, you need to ask her about Galactic Brown. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny. <laughs> So she I got, some, you I got some good yeah she does she does yeah <laughs> I'm trying to I think about what I can say embarrassing about her but you know she's just such a solid person there's not really a whole lot I can throw out throw out about her that would make her feel embarrassed <laughs> oh man I don't even know she probably is something I mean we talked about some embarrassing drunk stories of mine before we started recording so everybody's oh, yeah. got those 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 things i'm not going to bring them up right now because i'm like we gotta do it but thanks so much yeah. for listening today everybody um we will see you next monday <laughs>